Welcome to the Cool Tools Show. I'm Mark Frauenfelder, Editor-in-Chief of Cool Tools, a website of tool recommendations written by our readers. You can find us at cool-tools.org. I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Kelly, founder of Cool Tools. Hey, Kevin. Hey, it's great to be here. In each episode of the Cool Tools Show, Kevin and I talk to a guest about some of his or her favorite uncommon and uncommonly good tools they think others should know about. Before we introduce this week's guest, I want to give a shout out to our Patreon supporters. Patreon is a great way to support everything Cool Tools does, including our newsletters, our podcast, video channels, and our review website. This week, we want to give a shout out to Lawrence Lazare and David Abel. To become a patron of Cool Tools, visit patreon.com slash cool tools. Our guest this week is Spencer Wright. Spencer is the founder of theprepared.org, where he edits a widely read newsletter about engineering, manufacturing, and other meaningful work in the physical world. His career has spanned construction project management, bicycle frame building, consumer electronics, and generative design software. He also co-organizes the New York Hardware Meetup and spends a lot of time trying to get his four-year-old daughter excited about hanging out in his Brooklyn workshop. <laughs> hey, how's it going, Spencer? Hey, guys. So happy to be here. It's really a pleasure to have you on, and I'm really looking forward to your picks because I really respect the things that you're doing, and I'm looking forward to what you have to share with us. Thanks so much. Yeah, so Spencer, why don't you, let's just get started and have uh, you talk about this uh, retractable extension cord uh, setup. If you could describe what it is for our benefit of readers who don't see any pictures. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so a couple of months ago, I had part of the prepared's workshop rewired, and we added a bunch of like two gang receptacles, you know, outlets mounted to the ceiling. Now, we're in an old, old industrial building in Brooklyn, and it has these, you know, these great high ceilings are like four meters or, you know, 12 feet tall. Um, and th the ceiling is all concrete, um, which is, you know, kind of has some downsides, but has some upsides. And in this case, you know, we just mounted all of this conduit and these receptacles right to the ceiling and then hung these overhead cord reels, these, these retractable extension cords right next to them. The result is that whenever you want power anywhere in the shop, you know, we, we laid these things out on a grid. And so you just reach up and grab the closest extension cord from, you know, right above your head and pull it down to you. Um, and so the, the, the cord reels themselves, they're about uh, maybe a foot in diameter. Um, they hang fr from the ceiling very easily. And then they have a 25 or 30 foot extension cord um, coiled up inside them with a, with a spring uh, retract system uh, inside as well. And yeah, the result is that just you have this, this easy access to power anywhere in the shop and no extension cords around the ground to trip on. Okay. And um, the, the, the mechanism kind of works like the way they used to work in vacuum machines where vacuum cleaners rather, yeah. where you pull the cord out and then when you want it to go back in, you kind of yank it quickly and it disengages the clutch and it kind of winds itself back up and, and and that's the mechanism basically is that are in these yeah exactly you know it's not quite as dramatic as the the retract on the like melee vacuum that i that i grew up with but it's uh totally satisfying and it's so nice having this thing ab above your head then 
Right. And um, presumably they come in different lengths and you can kind of choose what size length you would want. And the idea is that the cord will kind of hang, you know, maybe two or three feet up or above your head, just, just high enough to, to grab it, but not yep. get in your way. Yep, exactly. And the nice thing, you know, for our shop, because we have such high ceilings, you know, we can maneuver, you know, a piece of uh, plywood or, you know, a piece of machinery around. Um, and, you know, almost everything goes right underneath the cords, you know, it, it might slap it if, you know, if it's a really tall piece of plywood, but, um, uh, so it's, it, they're very much out of your way, but also very much within reach as well. Sure. What if you didn't have high ceilings? What if you were in a workshop like mine where there's barely an eight foot ceiling? Um, would these have a place in that workshop? Yeah, I think they would. You know, I would put them, you know, in the corner then, right? So in our shop, we have so much space, we can put them right in the middle of the ceiling and they're fine. But even in a smaller shop, you know, something with a you know roughly eight foot ceiling, you could mount them right in the corner, right where the ceiling meets the wall. And you have kind of the same effect, right? Where they're, they're out of the way. You're not, you know, walking into them all the time. And uh, they're, they're easy to reach. And again, your, your power is all above you. And so whenever you do need an extension cord, you're not tripping over it. You know, if, if I, if, you know, if, if it was a small shop, I would, you know, even skip the, the cord reels and just, just take the step of wiring receptacles into your ceiling because it's it's fantastic right you know any any tool that you have you can just reach up and plug it right in and then uh, you know it, it has it has the same radius right or, or around a a wall mounted receptacle or a floor mounted receptacle um but you're not kind of tripping over it right so um uh, another thing i kind of detected in current workshop is that people are putting in retractable pneumatic air hoses yep the same kind of a thing where you, um, you have, and that's a little bit more complicated in terms of just the um, mechanics of it because it's high pressure air that has to have a spinning valve. So, but, but that also for the same kind of reason where you want to have pneumatic within reach. And so they have these retractable reels um, and they drop down from the ceiling. Have you gone that route yet? We haven't in our shop yet, but I think that you're, you're highlighting something that's actually really useful and it is kind of a, a design feature of industrial buildings across the board, which is that you have this ceiling space and you put all of your utilities there, right? So, you know, we do the same thing with Cat5 cable, right? You know, we have, you know, a bunch of equipment that's networked around our workshop. And by uh, installing either cable trays or routing eyes around the shop, you can run your, your network cable, you know, out of the way on the wall, you know, up, you know, eight or 10 feet or something like that. And uh, it's, yeah, it's very similar to the way you talk about the pneumatic system where um, all of these services are accessible. You know, you can, uh, a short, you know, six foot ladder, you know, you can reach up and, and, and service them, but they're not in your way when you're working around the shop. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So the, this one is, doesn't have a price, um, I think they're about a uh, hundred bucks or so. Okay. I've gotten them from both Amazon and MasterCar, and I've I've used this Alert stamping brand, um, which seems totally fine. Okay, great. It's a good recommendation. Um, thanks. So, what's next on your list? So the next thing is is parts box, which is very different. Um, 
are you guys aware of parts box no is it like sortimo is it like um organizer i'm not sure i, I hear parts and box but i don't know what the combination <laughs> right, exactly so so parts box is like a digital way of managing all of the inventory of everything you keep in your shop basically um you know when you get like a small parts cabinet um that have you know either a bunch of little drawers or one large drawer with a bunch of sub compartments and usually they give you you know, a, a booklet or a tape of these little stickers or cards that you are supposed to write the part number on or the specifications and then stick it to that drawer or something like that. Parts Box is a digital replacement for all of that. So it's a website and you create your own catalog of parts and then tell Parts Box where each part is stored, how many you have there, what they cost, so on and so forth. So you go to your physical part cabinet and you just name every single compartment in it. And they have easy parts box has easy ways to do this where you just kind of create a grid and you say, you know, you have columns and rows. And so this is, you know, bin a four or whatever it is. And then you, uh, you, you add whatever parts that you have in your inventory into parts box and assign them to that storage location. Now parts box is mostly built for electronics. And so, I think they use like the Octopart API or something like that, where if you give it a DigiKey number or a, or a manufacturer number, it'll look up, you know, what resistor that is or so on and so forth. I mostly use it for mechanical parts, for nuts and bolts and strings and whatever. Um, so I mostly use McMaster car part numbers. Um, I'd say maybe 90% is McMaster car and then 5% is Amazon and the rest is, you know, some mix of other suppliers or things I've designed myself. And I name all my parts that my master car number or whatever it is, and then add enough detail so that parts boxes search system can easily find what I might be looking for. So for instance, I use mostly metric fasteners and, you know, if I'm working on a project, I need an, you know, an M5 socket head cap screw, I'll go to parts box. I, I won't look at my physical parts storage at all. I go to parts box first, I search M5 socket or something like that, and up come the, you know, 20 different parts that that meet that description. And if I click on them, then it tells me what storage location to go to to look for them. The great part about this is that you can use stochastic storage systems, right? So you're not building any hierarchy into your physical storage locations where, you know, all of the M5 bolts are in one area and all the quarter inch bolts are in another area. With this, you know, they're all stored randomly, which is really nice because when you get an order of bolts or screws or capacitors, wherever it is, you just find an open bin and put them there right. and then tell the right parts box. Bin. Yeah. Yeah. That's how and you just tell parts box, which bin you do a description of like right. the bin that it's in. Right. The, the, yeah. The they number, all have, yeah. you know, they have names like a, you know, this it's, it's, it's a nondescript name. It's, you know, it's, you know, it's bin 30, whatever it is. Right. Um, and, but then, you know, in your workshop, you have that name, you know, printed on each bin or just written on it with a Sharpie is what I do. So, um, so, so the, the, the one, the one thing that I always fail or in the, well, it's the system is when I remove the bolts from right. that one, it's like, how does that happen automatically? Because that's yep. that's where it breaks down. Is okay. Oh my gosh, I, I forgot to tell that I removed twelve bolts from here, and they're not there anymore. Do you scan it or? 
Yeah, they have. So PartsBox has like built-in systems for this. I honestly, I mean, most of the time I'm buying screws in a package of 50 or 100 or something like that. And so keeping track of that isn't incredibly important to me, right? I mean, I'll use 10 for a project and then it doesn't really matter whether there are 40 or 35 of them left in the bin. What matters is when I, you know, when it's below zero, right? Um, and because I'm mostly using MasterCard, anybody, even if you're using, you know, if you're using Amazon and you're, you know, you have prime delivery or if you're using DigiKey or, or whatever, those fulfillment systems are just so fast that it's, it's just, it's easy for me to just forget about how many are in each storage location for the vast majority of my parts, right? And then I only reorder when I get to some, when, when I happen to look there and realize that I'm low because, you know, I have same day MasterCard delivery here where I am, right? It's almost faster than ordering on well, you, you have same like day. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, that's... Yeah, which is dangerous, honestly, <laughs> <Yes>. right? <laughs> <laughs> okay that's the future there <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah well why would you why would you worry then exactly um, yeah uh okay well that's so so anyway this is software this is like i have a library cataloging system that's very kind of similar to the same thing so this is software oh, for for organizing and tracking and cataloging basically your small parts your parts and yeah. it seems particularly suited if you have any kind of production rather than just, say, a tinkerer's workshop. Um, yeah, I, th I mean, I mostly use it kind of for, I mean, what I'm doing isn't really product development per se, but it's, you know, it's projects, right? And um, what what happens oftentimes is, you know, you, you buy a couple of screws for a project and then they sit there and they're either in a cardboard box, which disintegrates over time. Or, you know, they're in a bag, which is just kind of annoying to store. And, you know, for me, knowing that I, you know, I have some kind of minimum quantity of, you know, whatever screw size it is, is just is so useful. Right. And and having them all organized and searchable is just it's, it's really incredible. Mm -hmm. OK, well, great. That's a good suggestion. Um, so um, that's parts box. Tell us about um, workbenches. Yeah, so I I actually just finished this project. Um, I, I built a POC workbench, and the the POC workbench design it's it's something that's distributed by this guy Ron POC, who is a YouTube and internet personality. He's a is a woodworker who has created this design and sells plans for it. And the idea is that you you make it yourself, right? Um, and it's designed for people who are. But to, doing, could you, wait, could you describe this? Yeah, yeah. The, um, give, give us a picture of what it looks like. Yeah, so it's a it's a woodworking workbench that's made primarily of plywood, and the the workbench top, you know, instead of being you know a solid like a butcher block or something like that, it's a plywood box um, that uses what's called a, a torsion box system, and so the. The workbench top, in my case, is 200 millimeters tall, and it has a top surface and a bottom surface and then some ribs and sides to hold them together. And the result is that you have this great built-in storage area in your workbench top. You have kind of a shelf, right, where you can keep commonly used tools. And then the the standard POC workbench uh, uses plywood sawhorses for the base. I actually use this industrial framing system called FlexPipe, which is a, kind of like a steel pipe system 
to to build this uh, substructure. But then the idea with the workbench is that you you use it to mount both your table saw and a router table as well. And it becomes kind of the central workstation for your entire wood shop, right? It's geared mostly towards folks who are making things out of plywood. Mm. And and does the um, the top surface out of plywood, um, I see one version where there are a grid of holes put in presumably yeah. for clamping. Is that the standard default or is that just an option? That's that's kind of the key to it. So the thing I really like about the Pock Workbench is it's part of this ecosystem within woodworking that is I, I, is really interesting right now. A lot of it revolves around Festool tools, um, which uh, you know they have this very German design in which everything is a system and it's all very modular. And the the grid of holes, uh, so. Typically, there it's a 20 millimeter hole every 96 millimeters in an X and Y grid, right? So you have a, you know, it's roughly a three quarter inch hole every four inches. Um, and the result is, yeah, you can, you can clamp anywhere on the surface and you can just hold things down super quickly. In addition, because those holes are laid out in a square grid, you can use what are called bench dogs, which is basically just like a little uh, metal cylinder to you, you, you put a pinch dog in in one of these holes and then you can align your plywood right to that and make cuts directly on the workbench and there there are all these little kind of aspects of this system that that allow you to uh work in a very modular way and create especially kind of plywood basic plywood furniture uh very quickly and, and the table is mostly, this is mostly tables that people make themselves rather than the kind of like you purchase, although I'm probably you could purchase them, but they're kind of plans for people to, I, I'm assuming you're using like three quarter inch Baltic plywood or some sort exactly. to, to make these things. Um, and so then you would make your own um, workbench, your own POC style workbench. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, there are there are certainly aspects of the system that you can purchase, and um, you know, in particular, there the there, there's kind of a Festool, a kind of size down Festool equivalent, um, which also has this this grid of holes which you can purchase, of course. Um, but I think that one of the cool things about this the the kind of woodworking and, and plywood uh, craft um, community right now is that you know it, it's it's a tool that uses the same skills that you'll then use to use the tool if, if that makes any sense right so you know any plot any kind of plywood furniture that you're going to make uh will use the same you know track saws and routers and table saws and so on and so forth that you would use to make this this workbench and it has this i don't know it has this kind of like circularity to it uh, to, to me or something like that where you know, you're, you're kind of using the skills that you kind of naturally have in order to make the, 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 the tool that you will then allow you to kind of, um, yeah, produce some product or, or um, just kind of hobby stuff or whatever, whatever it is. Are you using a shop-bought router? No. So we, we do have a, an X-Carve Pro um, in the prepared shop, uh, but I am... I, you know, we have, we have like a half dozen routers in here. Um, the workbench does have a router table in it. Um, and then, 
uh, I have a, a, a one of the Festool routers and also a Shaper Origin as well. Um, the 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 reason for the not, not using the XCarve so much is mostly just the size limitations, right? Um, it's a little bit more setup, and uh, and also it's a relatively small build area, um, and and you know being able to kind of work on an arbitrary large thing is is really nice. Okay, so so the 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 tool here is is this a um, these are plans that we're going to link to so that if you want to make one of these here are a set of plans that you can get um, produced by the Polk fellow yeah exactly okay. um, I think my my main complaint with it is that and and this is another kind of aspect this is a weird aspect of the kind of woodworking community now is that none of it's modeled in 3d right i mean i think that this the stuff comes from kind of a sketchup uh a modeling environment or something like that and then it's just sold as a pdf i then well, took oh, that mean, PDF. You, oh go i ahead. see what you would like to get is actually 3d files like in a fusion exactly. 360 okay exactly yeah and so you know and you know folks have shared fusion 360 models of their of their pox setups i uh i i i bought the plans and then uh, adapted somebody else's Fusion 360 model as well, and you know having this in Fusion, I mean, to me, modeling something in 3D is just such a great way to start a project, um, and then it allows you to use kind of any kind of CNC tools uh, to make it. In my case, I, I yeah, I did use uh, the Shaper Origin for quite a few features on it. Right. So, so that was been one of sort of my epiphanies this year. I. I finally got a 3d printer i have a cricket and then you know i'm doing other things but i figured out that the 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 entire um what's the word i want mastery of all the stuff is in basically mastering 3d software yeah that 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 um until i could become a lot more competent in you know, producing and managing 3D software, uh, having the tools was really kind of ex- extraneous. It wasn't really where the work was. It was it was all right. in modeling. And I find the learning curve still pretty steep. Um, I'm, I'm where each time I go into Photoshop, I have to basically relearn everything. <laughs> I, forgot, yeah. I forgot it since I used it. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and I've already forgotten that little shortcut, which makes all the difference. And so, um, three. So, learning three hundred and sixty and SketchUp even is is like it's you know it's it's a big thing. Did you start off modeling and then move into the tools, or were you in tools and then figured that you had to learn the modeling? Kind of a combination. the The first parts that I had made from a three D model were were SketchUp designs, actually, um, uh, which was kind of a terrible way of documenting uh, my, my, my ideas in 3D because I was going for, you know, machined and, you know, um, dimensioned parts, right? SketchUp is a fantastic piece of software and you can make some really cool stuff with it. It's not, however, great at creating. I mean, you, you can't make a drawing and, and, you know, and export that to, um, yeah, or either a 3D file or a drawing and, 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 and get it made. Um, I, I spent, uh, a, a number of years after that, then kind of working mostly in, in 2d and then just ended up at a company where there was a seat of, uh, Autodesk, uh, inventor 
which is kind of their SolidWorks competitor. Um, and I just kind of learned out of necessity, honestly, uh, Kevin. Um, Fusion is is definitely weird in a couple of ways if you're coming from um, either a SolidWorks or Inventor background. And I can totally imagine how it's weird coming from, from SketchUp or just from 2D as well. Once you have it, though, it is it's just a superpower, right? I mean, you can um, visualize things so much better, and um, yeah, and and the yeah, like you're saying, kind of the ability to then use tools like three D printers and laser cutters and so on and so forth is is really incredibly enabling. Right. Yeah. So um, we like to hear your fourth uh, cool tool. Um, Tell us about uh, this one. Yeah, so my my last pick is a Johnson bar. Um, a, a Johnson bar is kind of like a cross between a crowbar and a hand truck. It's this big piece of steel or wood, usually about six feet long. And at one end, there's a handle. And the other end, there are two little wheels and a, a little lip, kind of like, like a, a pry um, uh, lip that you can use to lift really heavy things off the ground. They're, they're used mostly to move heavy machinery and they can lift, you know, up to like 5,000 pounds pretty easily just with one person that they only lift them uh, a couple of inches. Um, but they're, they're it's kind of magical, right? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like an Egyptian uh, way of moving heavy things around where you have this really, really, really long lever um, and are able to scoot something, that's that's very heavy uh, a very small distance and then presumably if you could then wedge something in and maybe get a jack in there and then you can then get it high enough to to transport or something but this is the initial getting it high enough to get something else under it yeah exactly and i you know the the beauty of owning a johnson bar is that they enable you to take unloved heavy equipment off other people's hands right i mean <laughs> you know there there are a lot of you know milling machines and lathes out there that you know someone bought decades ago and they've been sitting on a you know garage floor ever since and they they uh they decline in value um partly because they're just difficult to move right now yeah now you're not going to use a johnson bar to you know to move something down the street let alone you know to a different city or something like that but you can use it to just get the get a, a heavy item up onto a dolly or uh you know a hand truck or um a pallet jack or something like that and it, it really is just like an incredible superpower to to be able to lift this heavy thing just a couple of inches and then and then actually move it right right that's really cool i wonder if you could rent them can you rent it from home depot you know, I don't know. I I wouldn't think so, but it's it's totally possible. I I think of them as being a tool that, like, rigging companies use a lot, right? Um, you know, someone whose job it is to to move heavy machinery around. Um, but it's possible the Home Depot would have them. Do you need two of them to be useful? If you have two of them, then you can get a friend and and move things more quickly for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I have only ever you. I've only ever owned one of them, uh, and you know, honestly, this is one of those tools where using it slowly can can make you a lot safer, right? Because because you mm-hmm. are talking about something that you know, if it tips over, it could kill you, right? Um, not the Johnson bar, but the you know the the lathe that you're moving or whatever it is. 
So, so these things are pretty heavy duty. They're probably going to last a lifetime. It was very few moving parts. They're about two hundred dollars. Yep. Um, one of the um, underappreciated or lesser known tools that I have on my short list of things that people should really consider is a lightweight dolly, which um, yeah. I use all the time. And I don't know. I mean, it's just like, and and having one that I can lend out to people who are moving things. Hey, here's my dolly. Throw it in the back, and um, it's it's remarkable how useful it is, even. For, you know, like a regular homeowner, just for moving, you know, uh, bags of peat moss, for moving whatever it is. It's it's really, and this is sort of in that same vein of uh, once you have one, you probably wind up using it a lot more than you would ever guess. Right. And it, it like a dolly, it, it prevents you, you know, owning one prevents you from doing something dumb and hurting yourself yeah, right right um there's there's no need to try and lift heavy things without leverage so right right exactly or or wheels yes. so um <laughs> uh well this is really really fantastic great great things uh tell us a little bit more about um the prepared yeah, so the prepared is uh, it's a newsletter I run. Uh, it's a weekly newsletter that kind of is about these types of things, right? Um, you know, I, I word it as meaningful work in the physical world because you know it's it's partly about manufacturing, partly about logistics, partly about construction, kind of the the areas of of my career that I've that I've worked in. Um, and you know, it's it's kind of divided up into you know some industry news, some just like engineering factoids um, and then and kind of the random kind of uh, interview or plenty of manufacturing videos as well. And um, manufacturing. So that's a very, very broad term. Um, are, are you, are you kind of catered a little bit more towards the smaller shop um, sh- short runs or are you as enamored of the big, industrial factories producing, you know, um, cold rolled, uh, conduit, whatever. I mean, uh, yeah. Give me a little bit more sense of what you're kind of focusing on. Yeah. Well, my, my belief is fundamentally that being a generalist helps you make good decisions. Right. And so, and, and in addition, you know, it's, it's just personally enriching to be aware of things kind of in the adjacent possible. Right. So, um, you know, some of my favorite conversations with engineers have been, you know, folks who work in industries that I would never consider working in, you know, um, and and the prepared is kind of meant to treat all those things with, you know, at minimum curiosity and ideally with some degree of respect. Right. And so, um, you know, if, if there are plenty of really interesting engineering topics happening in, you know, oil and gas and aviation and and, you know, and, and also in kind of single family home construction. Right. And my belief is that, you know, you don't have to agree with them. You don't have to study them at, at much length, but being aware of them and at least considering what their implications are can make you better at the things that you do, whether or not you work uh, in kind of the physical engineering world. Hmm. Okay. And uh, the newsletter, tell, how, how big is it? How often does it come out? What does it cost? Uh, uh, totally free. I mean, uh, the, my, my, my view of the newsletter business is that if, if you're not giving it away, uh, it's really, really hard to grow. Right. Um, 
Uh, it's a weekly newsletter. Uh, it goes about, out to about 10,000 people and typically is about uh, five minutes to read, something like that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Great. Um, so we'll have a link there to theprepared.org. And um, are you writing most of it yourself or do you take contributors? Yeah. So for about five years, I wrote it myself every single week. Um, and then uh, about two years ago that, that I, I backed off considerably. And then um, as of, as of 2020, 50% of it is written by somebody other than myself. Um, and I, I think that that is a, this is like an unvarnished good thing, right? I mean, you know, I, I, I love kind of writing this and, and, and researching things, but, um, again, one of the benefits to, is, is, you know, getting a broad, uh, a perspective on kind of the physical world and engineering within it. And so, you know, I have guest editors, uh, who you know, work kind of all around manufacturing and, and physical engineering, um, and, and they bring perspectives that I just, uh, you know, wouldn't be able to relate otherwise. Okay. Well, thank you for um, putting it out and making it available and particularly for free. Um, and for your great tool picks. Uh, and I, lo- I love your philosophy too of um, trying to um, open up some of these, um, uh, what's like kind of tools that are maybe known in the professional, but should be a little bit more widely known, like the Johnson Bar. Great yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. All the tools. I mean, th- this is great. I, I had not really heard of any of these before. The parts box, workbench, um, that kind of cord reel thing was only yeah. vaguely familiar to me. So thanks so much, Spencer. This yeah. is really fascinating. Yeah, I can see that a win. Hey, everybody, it's your host, Mark, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Cool Tools Show. And I also wanted to let you know that we've got a lot more going on at Cool Tools than just this podcast. We also have the Cool Tools website, which has a new tool review every day. And you can get there by going to cool-tools.org. We also have four different newsletters that you can subscribe to. And you can subscribe to those from the Cool Tools page. We have this podcast that you're listening to right now. We also have a YouTube channel where we review tools. Check that YouTube channel out by going to youtube.com slash cool tools. And one of the things I'd like to ask you is if you're really enjoying everything that we are producing, go to our Patreon page and support us there. You can sign up and give us as little as $1 a month. And that would mean a lot to us. The money that we get from Patreon goes towards a lot of things. We transcribe our podcast interviews so that you can read them online We pay for editing of our podcasts and for our videos. We pay our contributors. We have video production costs. We have equipment costs. We have hosting costs. And the money you give us through Patreon also goes to support Cool Tools Lab. Anything you give is a huge help. And one of the things that we do is if you are a contributor to Patreon, we'll give you a shout out on air. And so I have a few people here to thank this week. Mark Lyonage. Micah Gates, Monty Zukowski, Patrick James McNally, Robert Cohen, Scott, Spence Lloyd, Steve Avery, Steve Golden, Steve Levine, Tom Hess, William Phillips, Aaron Nipper, Durab Patel, Glenn Mercer, Jay Walker, Jeff Bonner, Ryan Jarrell, Pat Daly, Patrick Kennedy, 
Troy Wallet, Mike Camerate, Nicole Harkin, Tim Youssef, Scott Reed. Thanks all of you for supporting Cool Tools. And if you would like to have a shout out, go over to the Patreon page and sign up. And thanks for listening to the Cool Tools podcast. We'll see you next week. Bye.